Hey. <laughs> Let's try that one. That was giving me the low battery signal, and then it said, you're on your own, dude. Uh, but you need to hear this, because we've got something great to share. Um, I want to introduce uh, a couple of families. We're going to start with the Longo family. I haven't seen them yet. Where are they? If y'all will, make, make your way on down. Let me just share a little bit about them um, as they're doing that. Galen uh, works at First Citizens Bank. He's a business and develop officer there. Uh, loves fishing. Uh, Candace is a social worker for a nonprofit. She helps counsel pregnant and postpartum moms. Uh, Madeline is in third grade, and Max is in first grade. And so, um, yeah, y'all come on down up here. We got their picture on, on the screen as well. Uh, just a little bit more about them, and we're going to have a special prayer also for them. Uh, when, uh, in Acts chapter 19, there, we read about a man named Apollos, and the Bible describes him as knowing the Scripture, knowing the way of the Lord. But then there's another detail in there uh, where Aquila and Priscilla... Um, pull him aside, and the way it's worded there is they show him the way of the Lord more adequately. And so Galen and Candace have come our way, and when they do that and they talk with our elders, they'll just say, tell us about your faith journey. And in that conversation study was a little bit of learning a little bit more what the Bible teaches, and they realized they had not yet been immersed and so the, if you look at the bulletin, there's a picture of there. Their, their family is there, several elders. And being an outdoorsman, fisherman, he wanted to be baptized in running water in the creek. So they went out to Barry's farm, and the, they were baptized last Saturday. And so we've got a, a wonderful tradition here of giving uh, every uh, new Christian a uh, Bible. So we want to do that and have a sprayer, uh, prayer for them. Uh, John Corn is one of our elders, and he's going to say uh, a special prayer for them. And I'll try to be loudly. Before I do, I'd like to say to you that there's no experience like finding adults who have decided to follow Christ. A lot of us do it when we're young or younger, but it's really hard to stop in life and to miss the children the midst of jobs, the midst of everything else that's being said in the world, and say, I want to find Christ more perfectly, and I want to do what He tells me to do. And that, dear friends, is what the Longos did. Would you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for believing hearts that search for your love, that people that look for you on this earth to serve you as best they can, to find what it is that you tell us in your word to do, and go do it. We ask you, dear Lord, that you would be with them in their faith walk, help them as they continue to learn more and more about you. Help them, dear Lord, to take these Bibles that we give them and wear the pages out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. But wait, there's more. So it reminds you of those Ginzo Knives commercials years ago. Let me tell you about Lee and Diane Lancer. They're uh, seated back this way. Y'all mind standing, giving us a wave? Their uh, uh, picture is on the screen as well. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about them. They are longtime followers of Jesus. 
uh, many, many years, and we're grateful they've come our way. Um, for the last 20 years before coming here, they lived in northeast Georgia. Um, they relocated here to be near one of their daughters and her husband and family. Uh, when they were in Georgia, uh, Lee was a residential builder, a remodeler. Um, Diane's been a full-time mother, grandmother. They have seven children that, as they explained, were spread all over the U.S. and 15 grandkids. Um, but he also tells me they are Michigan natives. So they've come our way from the Northeast Georgia, but they're from Michigan originally. Um, and if you've not yet met them, what a delightful couple. And he shared with me he's really looking forward to plugging in and getting involved, and I know they will. So welcome to Lee and Diane. I need, I need to say, also say thanks to Barrett for speaking last Sunday while I was recovering from COVID. That was a fun party. Uh, some of you have been there. Thank you for praying. Thank you for your cards, your texts, and calls. Uh, I was especially touched by one text that I received. I want to share it with you. It's from Joyce Hubble. She lives in my neighborhood. See, and I often uh, walk, and we walk by our house. And so here's what she shared with me. From your best neighbor, understand you have COVID. So sorry. No, some have a really hard time with this. When you're walking down my street, please refrain from coughing or sneezing in front of my house. No sharing of germs, your faithful sister, Joyce Hubble. It's good to know you're loved, isn't it? And then she says, now, if this garbage doesn't make your day, then you just need a shot. I think she's meant you just need to be shot. I love Joyce, too. And I'm grateful to be well. Open your Bibles to Joshua 1. Uh, we've got a great lesson to cover. I'm so excited for this, and I hope you will be too. Um, if you're a guest with us today, there's an outline on the back of the bulletin. Let me help you follow along. Most of the verses are going to be on the screens. You can follow along there, but I really encourage you to open your Bibles. We're going to be at the end of Joshua 1 and the opening of Joshua chapter 2. The story of Joshua is helping us to understand that we must get to the next level if we're going to enjoy the abundant life. Just a quick review, and this is on the top of your outline there. Three times God told Joshua in the opening verses of chapter 1 to be strong and courageous. And what we've done is we've walked through those. We've noticed that he also gives reasons why. That we can take heart in God's integrity. We can take heart in our inheritance. We can take heart in God's word. And we can take heart in God's presence. Well, I want to continue in Joshua chapter 1, this time in verse 10 and 11. Look what the text says there. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. It's go time. Can you imagine what that was like in those three days? They're packing up. They're getting ready. They're, they're making uh, provisions there. Then look in Joshua 1. Skip down to verse 16. They answered Joshua, All that you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment, and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be, put to, what, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And then chapter 2 opens with them making the preparations to move to the next level. Look how it begins. Chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, 
sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of the prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. Now again and again, what we read here is God had promised to give them the land, but they still had to take the land. And they've had a few successes militarily, and they're beginning to understand that taking the land involved warfare. So Joshua 2 opens with them taking this step, going to the next level. Joshua sends these two men, undercover agents, to gather some intelligence. Well, here's some background that's also helpful for us to understand the context. Why Jericho? Well, if you look at the lay of the land, the, the River Jordan goes you know, from north to south, and on to the right there on that, on that um, east side is really a mountain terrain, and there is a valley there right by Jericho, so it makes sense. That's where people would come in. So Jericho was like a key city, a fortress. In fact, it, it, it's called by commentaries the most powerful city in all of Canaan. It was a gateway to the rest of the land. Basically, being a fortified city, if you took Jericho, you'd take it all. But you had to go through Jericho first. And that's the point that Israel was facing. If they could take Jericho, then all of Canaan would be shaking in their boots, knowing that they're as good as done. Now, notice how Joshua proceeds. The first thing he does is he sends spies secretly. Well, of course he sends them secretly, right? I mean, they don't wear t-shirts. They don't wear name tags identifying themselves. But secret here tells us that not even Israel knew about it. Joshua 2 ends with them reporting to Joshua alone. Now, compare this to the first time the spies... They came back, and all the people heard the reports. Remember that? I mean, everybody had gathered, and they heard all, especially the ten, talk about how terrible it was. But instead of hearing the truth of God, the people listened to the bad reports. Not false reports, but bad reports. If you don't know the difference, go back and listen to some of the earlier lessons. We talked about that. So these ten spread the bad report. Faith gives way to fear, and the people of God refuse to go to the next level because they listen to the bad report. So after 40 years, Joshua now sends two spies, and this time Joshua is the one, not everybody, but Joshua, who gets a chance to filter the report. What have you learned? What do you know? This is not the only time that Joshua will do reconnaissance before a battle. But here's the principle to understand. It's on the screen. It's on your outline. Even though God had promised the land, Joshua still had to do due diligence and send the spies. And so this reminds us, and it's on the screen, of a, of a principle we need to know and remember. There is a partnership between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. There is a partnership between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. God's sovereignty does not absolve you and me from responsibility. He invites us into the action. He still wants to work in us and through us so that we can take what he wants to give. Now, we get this backwards sometimes. In salvation, there's a human tendency where we want to earn it. We want to do it ourselves. 
And so we try to earn our salvation in the things that we do, but we can never do enough to earn it. The Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2 is clear about that. But then when it comes to taking the next step, going to the next level, what the Bible calls sanctification or discipleship, we tend to think, well, now, God, you just take and you make me holy, and we just throw our hands up as if he's going to do it all. But remember Jesus said, if you want to follow me, whoever would come after me, let him deny his cross, and take, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow him. So there's a partnership between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. So what does this have to do with you and me? I hope you can see the parallel. And we're going to dig into this more in our small group studies tonight. That we too have a commanding officer, our Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus is his name. And Jesus wants to give us not this land of promise, but what he calls the abundant life. Not just when we die, but even now. So we relate to the story of Joshua because those of us who believe, we see how we're very similar to the Israelites. We've been removed out of bondage. We're free from the bondage of sin. We've been delivered by the Red Sea. We've had our sins washed away in baptism. We know where we're headed. We're going to heaven. But we're not there yet. So the quality of life, this side of the grave, this now is to be decided. But how many who've been saved, are not yet experiencing this abundant life. They're miserable. They're more like the, 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 the wandering Jews for the 40 years, just waiting until they die. Then it'll all be good. They've not yet realized what God wants to give must be taken. See, if any of this sounds familiar, it's because it's a God principle that is timeless. The truth of God is eternal. It's remarkable how much you see God is the same. We see it in Scripture. Yesterday, today, and forever. And the basic needs of people remain the same throughout time. So the truth in Joshua is true today. In fact, let me just kind of fast forward. Go to the New Testament. It's on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Note, note the wording here. Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the ESV. The, New American, the, the NIV says in the heavenly realms. One commentary noted that Paul uses that exact wording five times in the short letter to the Ephesians. Where are these spiritual blessings? In the heavenly places is what the text says, the heavenly realms. We understand spiritually that means the spiritual realms. Through Jesus, you have every spiritual blessing. But think about this. If the promised land is heaven, as many of our songs depict, does that mean that we don't have these blessings until we get to heaven, until we die? Because the Bible teaches the kingdom is right here. Right now. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is there. You have access now. Remember in our previous lesson, we talked about the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It is a something that we get now. We're going to get more of it in eternity. That's what we're talking about here. You have a lot to do with how much of these spiritual blessings you receive now. 
But just because you have access to it doesn't mean you have it. What God wants to give must be taken. Whether it's love, joy, peace, sobriety, contentment. Barrett talked about that last week. Whatever it is. Now, remember that wording, heavenly places, heavenly realms. Let's go to the end of Ephesians, chapter 6. Look at verse 12. And notice the same wording here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now note this. The same place Scripture tells us and describes our blessings in Christ is the same place where evil resides in the heavenly places. Well, keep reading in Ephesians, verse 13. You're familiar with this passage. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This passage is so impactful because it's revealing of what's actually going on. He lists here the armor, the full armor of God, and, and he describes this, this wrestling. That's the ESV word there, wrestle. Some versions say struggle, but we know what that means and we understand it very well. But notice, where is this happening? In the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. So we learn from Paul here that our blessings are found in the same place where the struggle is, in these heavenly places. Now, we need to know this because if we're not careful, we can be just like the world, and we struggle in the wrong places, in the wrong realms, trying to access what's eternal. We struggle, we struggle in earthly ways with earthly objectives. Think about this. Have you ever thought to yourself, the devil is trying to keep me from getting ahead? You ever heard that, thought that, you know, and things just, you just can't seem to get ahead, whether it's, you know, financially or maybe in your work or, or maybe in relationships? I am convinced the devil is not at all concerned about how much money we have or how well we do with our job or, or what our relationships are like. If we're not following God, he's good with that. What he's concerned about is when God's people are going to the next level with this heavenly struggle that we're reading about here. That's why he resists you most powerfully when you are not content with being miserable in the wilderness and you want to go to the next level and say, God, what is this abundant life? What are these spiritual blessings that you want me to have? He doesn't want you to have that power. He doesn't want you to have that peace. He doesn't want you to have that understanding. This struggle is in the heavenly or the spiritual realms. Well, let's make three observations. If you look at your study guide there, you can fill in the blanks. Going to the next level requires going through the Jericho of our spiritual lives. Going to the next level requires going through the Jericho of our spiritual lives. Look at Joshua 2, verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, 
sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Joshua understood that Jericho was key. So going through your Jericho spiritually can mean a lot. Well, then what's your Jericho? What's the spiritual parallel for, this, for us? It's whatever is keeping you from the abundant life. Whatever is keeping you from going to the next level. If God is to become first, then what you have to do is determine what's the competition. What's jockeying for first place for you? Well, what might be a point of weakness for you? Remember the first commandment God gave to his people? I'm the Lord your God. You're to have no other gods. Period. He comes first. But just like the world, we spend so much of our attention gathering our intelligence, but we're consumed with earthly things. Trying to get the grade. Trying to get the girl. Trying to make the team. Trying to get the job. Get the promotion. Get the house. We become so earthly focused, and we believe just like the world, that that's what really matters. We become consumed with that. But the first battle is the Jericho of your spiritual life. What is competing for first place? What's competing to be the God of your life, to give you purpose, to give you fulfillment? Because those places, those pursuits, they influence the degree to which you will access this life Jesus is talking about. So how you answer who's number one really determines everything. It affects everything. It affects your relationships. It affects your career. It affects your money. It, affect, it, it affects how you deal with conflict. It affects how you deal with sickness. It'll affect how you deal with grief. When you've experienced death in your life. The way you handle these things is formed by what's going on spiritually for you. Spiritual life is the Jericho you have to deal with. That's why I think some people stop believing in God. They stop following God. They, they learn some truths about Scripture. They participate in worship. They maybe even obeyed the gospel. And they had their sins washed away in baptism. They serve. They give. You think they're very devoted. But they never move from that human perspective of a religion to an eternal perspective of a relationship with a God who lived for you and died for you and is living inside of you. These two spies were sent to gain information, but that was not a lack of faith on Joshua's part. It was taking responsibility. It was doing their part to be prepared. So we too have a responsibility if we're going to move to the next level in the abundant life. Well, that brings me to the second principle. Going to the next level requires being fully armed. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 14, we have not read this yet, but it says there, all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. The NIV says fully armed. And again, in the book of Ephesians, it tells us all about the spiritual fight that's going on and the spiritual armor that we're supposed to put on. Look again at chapter 6, verse 13 of Ephesians. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So the armor of God is the battle gear necessary to wage war in the spiritual realms. 
You can't go in without being armed and do any good at all if you want to take what God wants to give. This battle gear is the kind of stuff that every believer has to take in this next step. I want us to be clear. When Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and so you may have it abundantly or the abundant life, he's not talking about material things, houses, degrees, the right body, the right look. If you really want to get the life abundant, you have to go on what's on the inside. Again, it's so easy to spend so much time getting the appearances right. What it means to be successful, getting our faces to look right. It's all about appearances. When the truth is, when we think like that, we're thinking just like the world, especially on the inside if we're not fully armed. The battle here that we're talking about is whether or not you deal with the Jericho of your spiritual world, because as goes Jericho, goes the rest of the land. Think about this. God says he wants you to be fully armed. God wanted the people to have this land 40 years before, but it didn't happen. We remember that story because it's so tragic. They were missing a key part of the armor, the belt of truth. They heard the facts, the reports of the ten, but they forgot the truth that God had promised to give to them. I think about this often as in our day and time, in our culture, as much as you've got your facts, I've got my facts. Have you heard that kind of talk? We can't even trust facts anymore. We should never trust facts in that regard as much as we trust the truth of Scripture. Without the belt of truth, they lost their faith. They went their shield. Forty years miserable in the desert until they died. Can you imagine that? Just waiting to die. How many Christians, though, think about life that way? Like, it's awful here, and we're just waiting to die, and then it'll be good. Is that what God wants for us? The biggest obstacle for them to take the land was not the giants. It was them not strapping on that belt of truth and believing God and using that shield of faith. Experiencing the life that God has in mind for you is not dependent upon your family. It's not dependent upon your job or your bank account, even your church friends. Are you making decisions based on the facts the world is quoting you or the truth that God is promising you? But get this, the promises and the purposes of God are not just for you and me. There's more. And that's the third. Going to the next level is all about reaching the Rahabs of the world. I'm most excited about this amazing part of the story. Look at the last part of Joshua 2.1. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Why go to a prostitute's house? If you ever taught this story to little ones, your own children, or Bible class, you've just, you just kind of wiggle, how, how, can I, how can I not use that word, say that? But no matter how we might gloss over it, this is messy. 
from a practical standpoint, there's some very solid reasons why the spies might have gone there. For one, her house was built in or attached to that outer wall. That was common. The wall was so thick, it was like full of houses. And that's where her house was. People lived in the walls. Think about this too. A brothel would be a place where men would be coming and going without a whole lot of suspicion. That's just kind of normal. So they could easily come in, easily go out. And then the role Rahab plays, and we'll share more about that later. But even so, why is she identified this way? Couldn't it be downplayed in some way? You ever wonder if we get to heaven, will Abraham still be called a friend of God? Will David still be called a man after God's own heart? Will we look and say, oh, look, there's John the Baptist, and there's Rahab the... Will we call her that in heaven? There's a reason. As the story unfolds, Rahab reveals she believes the land is as good as theirs. Look at the text. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 and following. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you this land. And the fear of you has fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Verse 10. For we've, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there is no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of heaven above and on earth believe beneath. We're going to talk more about Rahab next week. But do you think, you think word had not reached Canaan? I mean, is this not amazing? She's referring to the miracles that happened 40 years ago. I don't know how old you picture her as being. I don't think of her as even being 40. But this is the talk. Everybody knows that all heard about the God of Israel. And note her confession here. I know that the Lord has given you this land. I know. For the Lord your God, He is God of heaven above and on earth beneath. So get the picture here. East of the river. East of the river, the Israelites are not sure still about this taking the land idea. Sure didn't work the first time. But across the river, in this pagan land, this pagan city, it's a prostitute who believes in God more than they do. It is as good as done. When Joshua leads the people to take the city, you know the story. Rahab and her family are the only ones spared. More than that, Rahab comes to be a part of the people of God. She marries into them, gets to live in this land of promise with them. Eventually, she becomes a great-grandmother of King David, the direct matriarch ancestor of Jesus Christ. You go and you read the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and there's her name. But it's just mentioned Rahab there. Now remember, the spies are sent to Jericho to gather intelligence about the city. But check it out. Think about it. They would not need any of the information they went to get. They didn't yet know how the city would be taken, did they? 
They're not going in and saying, we're going to put the trumpets over here, and we're going to start marching over there. This is the circumference, and this is how it's going to... They didn't know any of that. So they go in thinking militarily, trying to gather every bit of information they can. You don't read it that... It's not even a part of the story. They were sent by Joshua to gather intelligence for a battle, but when you look deeper, they were sent by God to save a prostitute who was coming to faith. How would they have known about Rahab had these spies not gone in and stayed at her house? Israel, going to the next level, taking Jericho, was not just about them. It was about Rahab. You're going to Jericho, taking care of whatever it is that's competing for allegiance. It's not just about you. It's about someone else coming to faith. See, when I read the story, the reality is God was at work in the children of Israel wanting them to obey and do what's right, but God was also at work in Canaan. I hope you know that God wants his children in the promised land. Hope you know that God wants all people to be his children. And we are the ones that he is trusting to get the word out. God wants you to have the life abundance. Not just because he loves you and knows what's best for you. But he knows that when you take that step, you're going to be opening the door for others. That's why the kingdom must be first, foremost in our life. Jesus said that again and again. Going to the next level means putting the kingdom first. So being evangelistic means you're just saying, God, use me. Take my life. Make me a servant. I am yours. And people, yes, they're going to notice that, that you're consistently at worship. Yes, they're going to notice that your standards are different, the way you live, the, the way you deal with people. But what they cannot ignore is your milk mustache. You got a little honey dripping off. Because you've been in the land of milk and honey. You've tasted how good God is. And you're living that abundant life. The most effective way to reach the Rahabs is to make sure you're living that abundant life. That's what moving to the next level is all about. So put on the armor and get ready because there's a war all around us. And we have no idea who God wants to reach through us. Some of you know my faith journey. I did not grow up in a home active in the church at all. Today we call that unchurched. That was me. I had good moral parents. My dad was a Christian, had become a Christian earlier in his life. Mom never really made a commitment. But the, for the first 10 years of my life, I didn't go to church at all. Every now and then go with a friend to a vacation Bible school, but did not go to church at all. When I was in fourth grade, a friend, Lydia, invited me to come to church. Short story, we went to church one day. My dad was restored, and eventually my mom and all of our siblings, including myself, we were all baptized. Lydia became my first Sunday school teacher. I thought it was kind of interesting, the, song, uh, the, the scripture that was chosen for our reading today. Psalm 100, Barbara Stetler, that's the first thing she taught me to memorize. But Lydia's dad, Gerald, he was a Christian, but never went to church. I never saw him at church. Good man, good man. But I don't know what happened, but he just would not 
family begged him to come. Barbara brought the four children to church herself for years and years. He was a good man, though. Kids loved their daddy. But it broke their heart. I remember Lydia telling me that when she got married, I want a man who's going to kick my tail out of the bed on Sunday morning and go to church. Over the years, there were many who tried to reach out to Gerald. Nothing worked. Well, Lydia and I finished high school. Both went to Freed Hardeman. She married a godly man named Steve. He's from Michigan. I hear some good people are from Michigan. He's one of those that would kick her out of bed on Sunday morning to go to church. Fast forward several decades, Gerald received a diagnosis. It was not good. His days were few. My dad went to visit him and encourage him. My dad and Gerald were not really close friends. Our families knew each other for, for years and years. But Gerald Stetler came back to the Lord. Lydia saved me and my family so that God could work through my dad to save her dad. See, going to the next level, taking the next step, is not just about you. It's not just about me. It's who will God use you to reach? Were the spies sent by Joshua to survey the land, especially Jericho, or were the spies sent by God to save Rahab and her family? God wants to save you because he loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you, but he also wants to work in you and through you to reach others. It's not just about you going to the next level so that you can get what you want. It's about you going to the next level so God can use you to reach someone else. We're going to sing a song to encourage you to take the next step. What is that for you, the next level? For some of you, you've not yet obeyed the gospel. Maybe it's time for you to confess you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe it's time for you to be immersed into Christ as the Bible teaches if we can help you with that, we'd be glad to. That's why we sing this song encourage you. If we can pray for you, whatever you need help to go to that next level, once you come as we stand and sing to encourage. The Lord lived his countenance upon.